0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, yesterday we heard from head coach Matt LaFleur with regard to following up on the win over Detroit. And we talked on yesterday's show about how Packers had two substitutes on the offensive line. Corey Lindsley went out with an injury. Brian Balaga was being evaluated for a concussion. So Lucas Patrick, Jared Valdeer stepped in. What we didn't know, (laughs) this was sort of a revelatory statement, was that Billy Turner, the right guard, had turned an ankle in that game, but he was gutting it out and playing on that bad ankle because... The Packers went into the game with only seven offensive linemen on the game day 46. If Turner had needed to come out of the game, they would have had to put somebody completely out of position into the offensive line. So fairly unprompted, which doesn't always happen in press conferences, Lafleur gave a pretty nice shout out to Billy Turner for uh, for gutting it out there on Sunday at Ford Field and keeping the Packers' offensive line as intact as possible.
1: So hours before Matt LaFleur ever addressed the media, I had tweeted out uh, Billy Turner had started all 16 games, led the Green Bay Packers' offense in total snaps for this past season, Yeah, only coming out, I believe, for two snaps all year, uh, 1,076. Has just been a total Iron Man for them. And it goes back to something that Brian Gutekunst said when he signed him and the other three, veteran free agents this offseason, the durability history, the ability to gut through things, and the ability to have that availability at all times. And I thought this game really underscored that for Billy Turner. And, and he's been such a bright spot for this offensive line because he hasn't been a, a a big topic for the most part. Yeah, He goes in there, he does his job, and he solidified a position that had kind of been going through a lot of upheaval for a number of years since T.J. Lang had left for Detroit. So, yeah, to be in a position where Corey Lindsley's out with the back injury, that means your only interior offensive lineman, as far as reserve, Lucas Patrick, has to plug in at center. Then Jared Valdeer, who's been predominantly uh, a tackle his entire career, yeah. he has to go in and sub in for Brian Velaga. So, yeah, you wonder if Turner would have been able to go through it or if the Packers would have sustained another injury. Does that mean you know, Tyler Lancaster would have to dust off his old offensive line gear from high school. I mean, there were so many different scenarios the Packers would have had to explore, but thankfully with Turner kind of pushing through that injury, they didn't have to do that. And then by the way, for everything that had happened in that game, the Packers offensive line blocked its tail off. I mean, it it had an exceptional performance given what the circumstances were with the injuries, both on the field and and the guys that had to leave back to the locker room.
0: Yeah. I mean, that really turned out to be a, to to be quite the story of the game. And Lucas Patrick, I went through the entire offensive film, and for those who want to check out my What You Might Have Missed piece with some clips, I I focus on about a half dozen plays of Patrick's at center, both run blocking and pass protection, against various defenders who were lined up across from him. I thought he played an outstanding football game because he came in with about, I believe it was 10 minutes left or so in the second quarter, so he played the bulk of... um, the ball game. And then Valdir making his Packers debut. Now, he came in very late in the third quarter, so he played just a little bit over a quarter of football. But as we talked about on yesterday's show, this is a guy who hadn't actually stepped on an NFL field for essentially a year. And, uh, you know, hats off to him. He's only been in Green Bay, you know, a few weeks. and But has the mental acuity that he picked up enough of the offense that it's not like it's not like Matt LaFleur had to take half of the call sheet and throw it in the yeah. trash because there's a brand-new right tackle in there who's only been around for about a month or so. And that's a credit to a veteran guy who's been around a decade and, and has, I believe it's 130-plus starts in his career. You, you, can't, uh, you, know, you can't, as LaFleur said, you can't put a price tag on that kind of experience in those situations. So
1: a few things that's jumped out to me about that performance. One, uh, it is pretty crazy that his first career start came at center. I've I've never really. Oh been able really? To I that. I missed that. The Oakland bio. Raiders played him at center his first game. No kidding. And then after that said, you know what? You're six eight. I would say
0: six foot eight, and they it played him at center. It might be time to push you outside. My goodness.
1: But you know he came from Hillsdale, so there were some questions about exactly where you'd fit in the NFL. Yeah,
0: Division two college player.
1: And evidently they looked at him at six eight and said, yeah, let's start there. But anyway, <laughs> he, over the last decade, he's had a really you know. Great career, first as a left tackle and then moving out to right tackle with Arizona a number of years ago. And here he is, one month to the day I believe it had been since he'd been claimed off waivers uh, after he told the New England Patriots that he'd like to return. And what a big security blanket that was. And just listening to him talk in the locker room, both after the game when I had a few chances to speak with him, but then also when he addressed reporters during Monday's locker room. You can tell how much this means to him. Uh, not just to be playing football again, but to be playing a meaningful situation and being a chance right now to, to actually you know potentially make a big run here in the postseason and maybe even a Super Bowl. Uh, he takes a lot of pride in that, and, and he's a very even-keeled you know, steady as it goes, performer. He lined up next to Billy Turner, his former teammate from Denver, and he just did his job. Now, the Packers are going to have two weeks here to see if Brian Belaga can get through the concussion protocol and be available right. for that January 12th game. So you never know. This might be it. This might be the one appearance that Valdir has. But the one thing I think Green Bay can take a lot of solace in right now and can feel confident about is that when he was thrown into that situation with the game on the line, the Packers needing to get a win. These weren't garbage minutes. These were important plays for them to be able to to get that buy, and and he showed that even with after the one-year layoff he could step up for it
0: yeah well as you said the Packers will have the buy to try to get these guys healthy Balago with the concussion protocol Corey Lindsley with his back injury it will be interesting to see obviously there's a lot of time between now and January 12th but the Packers do have two other offensive linemen on the 53-man roster. Alex Light, who has played some, both guard and tackle, and then um, Jason Leglue. if I'm saying... John Leglew. John Legloo sorry. Yeah. I got the first name incorrect there. And he's been here even uh, less time than Valdir, a very recent uh, acquisition. But depending on the injury situation and given what happened in Detroit, you wonder if... Maybe the Packers go with eight active offensive yeah. linemen on the 46 for the playoff game. The reason, if you're healthy most of the time, the reason you usually go with seven is because you've you you know you've got at least two backups there. But offensive linemen don't really play special teams except for like field goal, field goal protection, protection, that kind of thing. So if you want to have other, you know, the linebackers and the faster guys and whatnot available for special teams, that's where some of those last spots on the 46 go. So there could be some interesting decisions to make, uh, you know, two weeks from now.
1: Yeah, and Alex Light has kind of become that sort of Don Barclay type where he can play guard or tackle depending on what the Packers need. So he could be a little bit of a Swiss Army knife there if they feel like they need a little bit more security depending. Again, we're going to have a full week here before we get another injury report to see where Turner and and Lindsley and and all these guys are going to be at. I know Corey's putting together a plan trying to make sure that he can be ready here for the stretch run as well. Yeah. Packers were smart about it. I thought when you look at the entire way that they approached that game, you know Jamal Williams addressed reporters in the locker room as well on Monday, and he basically said, "I mean, if this would have been a you know playoff game, he could have played in it. He feels like if they would have needed to play this weekend, he would have been available. But you well, need to be smart, news. and yeah. you want to try to get your team as healthy as possible. And for the first time in a long time here, Packers are in a position to do that. They aren't trying to run a table. They're not trying to you know claw their way to a division title." They had that hay in the barn, and they were trying to get a buy, and they've mm. earned that buy now with this, this winning streak they've been on. And it affords them this opportunity now to sit back, relax, take those keep those hits off their bodies, and you know see what falls to them now in this divisional round.
0: Yeah. Well, shifting gears to the defensive side of the ball, there is definitely something we need to talk about in the big-picture sense, and that is that uh, with the defense only allowing 20 points to the Detroit Lions, the unit actually finished the season on a – five-game run of allowing only 20, allowing 20 points or less to the opponent, and that's the longest streak that a Packers defense has had in the regular season since it had a six-game streak back in 2010, and we all know what happened in 2010, but the other connection to that year is that this Packers defense finished the entire season allowing 19.6 points per game, and that's the first time a Packers defense for an entire regular season has has uh, had a points allowed average under 20 since 2010. So hats off to uh, Mike Pettin and the Packers defense. We obviously saw the unit get off to a tremendous start in week one against the Chicago Bears, just allowing the three points. But I think what really defines this unit season is the way it bounced back from allowing the 37 in San Francisco yeah. in uh, in the blowout loss to then come back and go five straight games to end the season. And actually, the Lions were the first team out of those five to score more than 15 because they were on a run of four straight games of allowing 15 points or less. A really good finish to the season, I thought, by the Packers' defense, despite, obviously, a rough first half in Detroit, which they turned around with a pretty dominant second half.
1: This conversation about the Packers and their, you know, winning ugly and things like that. One of the reasons they've been able to do this is because of how the defense has performed down the stretch. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why I keep saying over and over again. That's I'm what doing.
0: ugly wins are to yeah. to fans and to those who want to characterize it. Is that is is when your defense is tough. And your offense doesn't look like anything spectacular. It just falls into that category of an ugly victory. And, and the Packers are just fine with that right now as much as they'd obviously like to see the offense find another level in well, January.
1: And that's going to keep you in games here down the stretch, yeah, too. I mean, they're going to have chances here. And, and I go back to something that was actually asked of me in Insider Inbox, and you had to edit this. I'm curious to see what your thoughts were on it yourself. Somebody had said, if this if he, if I saw parallels between the 2010 team and the 2019 team, In terms of the structural makeup of it, entirely different scenarios. Yes. Uh, The 2010 team was banged up. They were very talented, but they were banged up. This team is much healthier. That defense, statistically, was more dominant than what this year's team has been. Yes. But it is interesting in that I feel like there's a very similar swagger and energy in the locker room. And I also feel their capabilities of winning those close-knit games, there's a lot of ties between these two squads. And you know, I'll be honest with you, the Packers finished 18th in total defense this season they could have very easily been a top 10 unit had they been able to reduce more of those explosive plays because the red zone defense was exceptional. They did a really good job in certain scenarios of being able to keep teams off the scoreboard. It was just not being gutted for that big 50 or 60 yard gain that ultimately nine times out of 10 is going to result in some type of points. Yeah. and and obviously it's going to reflect poorly when you look at a stat sheet at the end of the game. But this team can win football games, and I just think the way that they're using Zadarius Smith right now has been a revelation for them. It's allowed Kenny Clark to be able to really excel this last month of the season. I know Preston Smith is getting a lot more attention right now, but he's up for it. And to be honest with you, who, who nobody keeps track of playoff stats, Mike. You know this. Right. I mean, we can talk about Tremont Williams and, and the interceptions he had back in 2010, and those things that stand out to you. But nobody cares about tackles. Nobody cares about individual accolades at this point. It's about whether or not your team can win and advance to the next round. And I think when you look at this defense specifically, in the parallels that you could run to 2010, there's a very similar mindset in there of just get the job done.
0: Yeah, I think so. I I, I like what you said, just kind of about the the, the swagger and the attitude. There is. There is a belief on this defense that they're going to find a way to get the job done when they when they have to and I think the 2010 unit was like that. The 2010 unit went through with with the injuries that happened with Nick Barnett going yeah. on IR and other guys, you know, you had Desmond Bishop stepping in, you're signing Howard Green and Eric Walden off the street to come in to help that 2010 unit. So the process of getting to the end of the season was completely different because this Packers defense really other than what Darnell Savage missing a couple of games. Yeah. I mean, it they've had their primary guys, you know, pretty much all the way along, which I think is also a big factor in in how they were able to turn it around after that rough game in San Francisco. But the other thing too is that ability that ability to make, you know, and I talked about it yesterday with the offense, but it's making a key play at the key time. I mean, Nick Collins getting the interception in week 17 to close out that 10 to 3 victory over the bears just to get into the playoffs. BJ Raji with the pick 6 in the NFC championship. Tremont Williams at the end of the first right. half to, you know, start to get some separation from the Falcons in the divisional round. Those are the things that stand out to me about the 2010 team after they got through all the injuries. That defense just made key plays at key times down the stretch to to fuel that playoff run this 2019 defense is perfectly capable of that and they made several of those types yeah. of plays during the regular season if they can do that in a playoff in a playoff game or two who knows how far this goes
1: and they got Tremont Williams so, hey, Tramon Williams number is still thirty here.
0: number thirty eight is still here.
1: So I mean, you got that boy. That'd be cool if Packers actually could get on a run this year, win a Super Bowl, to actually have a, a run like that where you had a guy on both of those teams that played in those types of situations. <laughs> that, yeah, it's one that thing to have be, the quarterback or to be, have a tackle or something, yeah. but it's not easy for a cornerback to stick right. around that long. At least as far as the NFL is concerned. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's why everybody understands why this is such a special opportunity now too. You know, I, I've said this a number of times now, but I think it bears repeating. You know, this season started for the—today, as we do this, is December 31st. Happy New Year, Mike. Yeah, Happy Uh, New Year to you as well. This whole thing started in mid-April for the Green Bay Packers. Like, they built their roster, obviously, back in March, and they were able to come back, and they were able to actually, you know, put a team together, build the system, get the offense to buy in, get these new pieces involved in Mike Pettin's defense, get them to believe. And here they are, 13 wins, first-round bye. And now it's all up to the next 60-minute game in front of them. Yeah. So I, I just think that there is an awareness with this team. And also, th- they definitely understand that they're mortal. This is not infallible. They've been in a lot of knockdown, drag-out games in which a uh, certain s- swing here or gust of wind there, and <laughs> next thing you know, you're, you're on the losing end of it. They understand what it takes to win and also knowing where they're weaknesses have been and where they need to improve and I still think when we talk over and over again Mike about the Packers having that best game out there for them you know that's still very much at play here when they go into this postseason
0: yeah I think so but you know you know how this goes in the playoffs Wes I mean you know thinking back to the last time the Packers had the first round by in 2014 obviously everybody remembers that Dallas came to Lambeau Field that Des Bryant yeah. catch no catch you know whatever but when you even you, you go back a week how close it was that Detroit almost beat Dallas and then yep. it wouldn't have been Dallas coming here it would have been somebody else and and the way the the way those playoffs unfolded because of some really close calls in the wild card round and so who knows what's going to happen here with Minnesota playing New Orleans and Philadelphia playing Seattle. The Packers have, you know, one of three possible opponents and you just don't know how this obviously everybody's I think expecting yeah. the Saints to win at home against the Vikings at the Superdome and as the 3 seed the Saints will come play the 2 seed in Green Bay. But here's an interesting thing cuz I just looked this up before we before we came in here. Three previous times before this year, since the NFL instituted the playoff format in 1990 with the six seeds and the top two getting yeah. the bye, three previous times the Packers have been the two-seed with the bye. One of those times, only one of those previous three times, they did not play the three-seed in the next round. It was uh, 1997, after the Super Bowl title, when they ended up playing Tampa Bay, who was the four-seed. Why? Why? because Minnesota was the sixth seed and knocked off the 3. Yeah. Just throwing that out there just in case. But anyway. But
1: that's the madness of the postseason. Exactly. Too.
0: That's the thing. You just don't know how you just don't know how this stuff is going to go. The Saints had to put it all on the line. They were playing for a possible bye. They had to put it all on the line. They blew out the Carolina Panthers they didn't get their bye they have their home game as the 3 seed the minnesota vikings rested everybody the vikings are coming off a bye week going into the superdome and trying to knock off a favored team you just never know
1: yeah and you, the packers perspective you just need to look at 2010 for how crazy these things can play out i mean that they ended up having to go to chicago out of all places to to go to win the super bowl after winning in atlanta and winning in and after the
0: after the bears had tried had didn't have anything to play for and played all their starters in week 17 to try to prevent the Packers from getting into the playoffs in the first place. And then that ends up being the NFC championship game at Soldier Field is Green Bay and Chicago when it's all said and done.
1: And here you are now. And it was a couple guys I talked to in the locker room after the game. I mean, like Lucas Patrick, Lucas Patrick was on the practice squad when the Packers did the run the table thing in 2016. And then, you know, you have Aaron Jones and, Jamal Williams, two draft classes that don't know what it's like to play in the postseason. I, I didn't get a chance to ask him, but I was looking at I don't know if Billy Turner has played in a playoff game yet.
0: I don't believe he has.
1: Because he got to Denver after to, their Super Bowl, and right. I think he left Baltimore. Well, he was only in Baltimore for a short time, and I don't think he made it with Miami. So there's veterans, there's young guys, and then you'd look at a guy like Mercedes Lewis that has been to the AFC championship game. He was on the doorstep of finally getting to that Super Bowl. And I'm not trying to turn this into the Julius Peppers, you know, let's go get him a ring thing. But it doesn't matter if you're in the league for 14 years or if you've been in the league for one year. There was a time in Green Bay where every single guy went through and they all knew what it was like to go to the playoffs. That's not like that anymore. Yeah. You have experience where it counts, but you also have guys that are really hungry – To show that they not only can just be a playoff team, they can be a division champion, they can be a Super Bowl contender. Because as the shirt said, the North is not enough. And now the Packers have a chance to prove that they are very capable of, of taking this entire cake.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Lewis. There's also Jimmy Graham, who just missed right. the Saints Super Bowl in 2009 because he was a rookie in 2010. Then he just missed Seattle's back-to-back Super Bowls when he went to the Seahawks. He's been in playoff games, been you know played on a lot of playoff teams, but he's never been to a Super Bowl. There is the hunger there that goes along with that. One other thing I want to get to, just to clarify a little bit from yesterday's show, and then we'll sign off, because we were talking about that crazy ending to the Seattle-San Francisco game. Yeah. Just to be clear, neither one of us was advocating or demanding that it should have been a pass interference penalty. I honestly didn't even get enough of a look at it. I yeah. think I think you would agree with me that the point we were trying to make is that you at least in that situation with that much at stake, you have to stop the game and take a look at the play. Okay, so that was the point we were trying to make i, don't I hope care. i hope nobody misconstrued it because i honestly didn't even see i i was working on my computer getting ready for whatever we were going to post on the website and i really didn't even get enough of a look at it to see if i would have called it past interference or not but that aside the question i want to throw at you is do you think do you think we're headed for another officiating controversy fiasco in the postseason like we had last year. Is that where is that where this 2019 season is headed? Are we going to be talking about one of these things again like we were last January?
1: A couple things here. I want to answer that question. Okay. I want to give you a real good answer to that. Okay. I want to just add in with my own amendment to, to what you just said. I don't even care if they would have just stopped the game and they ate a bag of Cheetos <laughs> and then <laughs> two minutes later started redoing the game. Yeah, the play Saints the optics of it were so bad. Yeah. Like, just just look at the play, right? The game's on the line. Look at the play. This wasn't a 15-point blowout trying to everyone get to the bus. This was for major stakes, and yeah. we'll see what happens with the Seattle Seahawks. It could be fatal stakes right. for him this And weekend. it was
0: an incomplete pass, so it's not as though the clock was running or no. something. I mean, the clock is stopped, so you have an opportunity to stop the game and take a look at it. I get what New York's, New York's saying. New York's
1: saying that, well, we had the 40 seconds. That was enough time, but... Come on, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I think we are. And the reason I say that is because in this same seat, this literally this same seat, this <laughs> same desk, this same you know, Microsoft Surface, microphone, Mike Spofford, we sat here last year and I said there were too many blown calls. There was too much controversy in the regular season to expect there just not to be any in the postseason. Right. And then, right. lo and behold, the NFC Championship game, you had arguably the biggest blown call of this century right now when you look in terms of postseason play yeah in terms of how that 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 shuffled out i'm actually kind of curious now if that scenario plays out if they would even er- overturn it with the the interference rule they might not even overturn it Yeah, who knows because they've been finding a way who to knows? cut through that paper bag all season they might well and they haven't and
0: they haven't given as much as they've now given the power to say as i like to say drop a penalty flag from new york for pass interference if they want to they haven't given them the power to say like oh that's a helmet to helmet hit that should be a 15 yard which that would have been an issue last week right i mean with seattle um but that was also what the issue was in new orleans in the nfc championship last year whether it was pass interference or not the receiver took a helmet shot but nobody's nobody's got the power to nobody's got the power i'm just saying
1: yeah who cares right no, I mean you're absolutely. But, I, but 100% I, right. I,
0: I, I said it in inbox. I think it's. I, I think we are headed for another officiating controversy fiasco in the postseason. Whether it's going to be, whether it's going to be roughing the passer, which was somewhat controversial in the AFC Championship last year with the Tom Brady play, yeah. whether it's going to be another one of these catch no catch things, whether it's going to be pass interference. I just, I think we're headed to it, and unfortunately, and it's just a question of which team is going to feel like they got robbed. Because
1: here's the other thing, Mikael. When you get playoffs where all these teams, these are your best 12 teams the NFL has, theoretically. There's going to be tightly contested matchups every single week. Yep. All the way up until the Super Bowl, maybe if a you know Seattle-Denver thing blowout happens. But because it's close, that means there's going to be close calls, which means there's going to be close decisions, which means there's going to be unhappy people on both sides of the party. Yeah. You just hope – That it's unhappy people because it was a bang-bang play and they made the call that they felt was right and not something like last year where, you know, that probably changed the the future and maybe even the legitimacy of who should have been playing in the Super
0: Bowl. Yeah, absolutely, because it was something that everybody looked at and said, boy, they, uh, you know, they... Nobody was saying that was a bang bang play. It was like, hey, that one that one was botched, and and the wrong team probably won the NFC title. So. It was a,
1: By the way, very quickly, just to throw this out here, while well, be, before we sh- sh- sign off, I'll let you do the honors. But this was a very important episode for you and I of Packers Unscripted. It was. Well, you especially. You haven't missed one.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I haven't missed one. This, and it's it's actually fitting because you mentioned Happy New Year before. It's New Year's Eve as we're taping this, and we're turning the page to twenty twenty. This was our 500th podcast of Packers Unscripted, right here on the last day of 2019, Podcast number five hundred. Thought maybe so. we'd have
1: some confetti or something that was going to rain down and yeah, start Marvin, playing music.
0: Marvin didn't uh, didn't rig anything up for. How us. fun
1: is that though, partner?
0: Five hundred, man.
1: We haven't been canceled yet. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a tremendous honor. No, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, when I actually came on board with the Green Bay Packers in April of two thousand sixteen, and we knew that this scenario was going to happen, where Vic was going to be sliding out, and I would probably be sliding in with you on the beat. They talked about wanting to do a show, a daily program. We started on Spectrum. We've shifted to Packers.com here over the last two years. What a wonderful ride it's been. I pitched for years. I wanted to do podcasts. I wanted to do video stuff at my previous employer. And then here we are. I get to live the dream with Mike Spofford every (laughs) single day.
0: And we've hit number 500, my friend. Unbelievable. All right. Here's to (laughs) 1,000. With that, we will sign off on podcast number 500 of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to us. Like us on iTunes and other podcast services, starting with number 501. And be sure to check out all the great video content on the Packers' YouTube channel. For Wes, I am Mike. Happy New Year, everybody. We will see you next time.